All right, good morning, Salt City. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew. Before we jump into the Word, we've got one quick announcement for you, and that's that our formation class is coming up. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. But there's basically a few different ways we do discipleship in Salt City. One is sort of this weekly gathering. The other one we talk about a lot are connection groups. And the third way we do discipleship is called formation. And so in this class, we're talking about doing what Jesus did. And so if you want to jump into that class, it runs for three weeks and then kind of pivots into a small group. You can sign up on our website. But that class starts during second service next week. So this is kind of your last chance to get in. So just want to make sure that you know about that. So I was listening to a podcast this week, and a guy by the name of Pete Scazzaro was being interviewed. Pete Scazzaro has been in ministry for longer than I've been alive, and I always love to listen to older guys talk about their journey in the faith. But he was talking about, in his experience of meeting with people from a large swath of society in his life, and specifically teaching them what he calls emotionally healthy discipleship, he's run into a lot of very successful people who feel like losers. So he talked about knowing people who had been successful in business who feel like they're total failures, or millionaires who continue to spend their money like they're poor. And he was pointing out this reality that we are, as people, not meant to be satisfied by the things of the earth. And what the Apostle Paul has been saying thus far in Ephesians is that we aren't made to be satisfied by worldly blessings. We're meant to be satisfied by spiritual blessings. So if you are dissatisfied this morning with your life, Paul would say it's probably because you're a person who is trying to fill the gas tank of your life with water instead of with gas. We weren't meant to run on money and power and success and our own beauty and our own accomplishments. We were meant to run on what Paul calls spiritual blessings. And so Jordan unpacked a few of those spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus last week, and I want to unpack a few more of those spiritual blessings. As we kind of pick up the narrative in this breathless sentence that the Apostle Paul is speaking. And so we're simply going to see this morning that Jesus is all that we need. In other words, all of the spiritual blessings that we're looking for that will satisfy our souls are found in relationship with Jesus himself. So we're going to look at three treasures that we have in relationship with Jesus. The first one is that we have been forgiven. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start off by looking at verses 7 through 10. So starting with verse 7, it says, in him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So our ears should perk up as we read that, 
Because Paul says that he knows the secret to unifying humanity. He says the secret to unifying humanity is that we understand that we are not right people, but we are forgiven people. And I thought that is especially applicable to our society today. So there's many different areas in our society where we are polarized. And so people are lobbing ideological grenades at each other. And there's no place where that's more prominent than in politics. And so this is, is kind of a characterization of what's happening. But specifically in my world, what's happening is that young people tend to be more politically liberal than their parents. Older people in our society tend to be more politically conservative. And so what happens is a young person goes home, let's say for Christmas break, to visit their parents, and the young person has been taking in certain media outlets and reading certain things on social media and has been sort of soaking up this worldview, and they are looking forward to bringing that worldview home to mom and dad. And at the same time, mom and dad have been reading certain websites and watching certain news services and following certain social media accounts. And they are excited to share that information with their son or daughter. And what happens is it doesn't go well. And so fights start happening over the dinner table. But I believe what's actually happening, at least if you're from a good family, what's actually happening in that conversation is both of you are fighting for unity. And what you think is, if we would agree politically, then we would finally have unity. And so the reason that we're sort of lobbing these ideological grenades at each other is we're essentially putting ourselves in the right. We're saying, I have the right political view in this case. And you have the wrong political view. And so to use the Apostle Paul's words, what we're saying is we don't have any trespasses. We haven't made any mistakes in our ideology. But you have made the mistakes in your ideology. So the solution, what will bring unity, is if you'll finally agree with me and admit that your, your view has problems and my view doesn't have problems. Then we'll be one big happy family. But I've never heard those conversations being convincing to either side. And so the Apostle Paul offers us a different perspective on how to achieve unity. And what he's really saying is, I want you to zoom out. And I want you to see it not from this worldly, ideological, political perspective, but I want you to see it for a moment from God's perspective. And here's God's perspective. Everybody's wrong. Here's the way that the Bible puts it in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Both Democrats and Republicans get it wrong. Because the standard is not Democratic political ideology or Republican political ideology. The standard is the law of God. God searches 
the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So here's basically the picture that we get from the Apostle Paul here. You've got sort of a Republican and Democrat, and they both trespassed onto somebody's land. So when I think of trespass, I think of no trespassing sign, and it's usually like hunting land, right? And so you just imagine two people on the same piece of hunting land, and they're essentially yelling at each other, you're trespassing. And the other one's like, no, you're trespassing. No, you're trespassing. No, you're trespassing. You're not supposed to be on this land. No, you're not supposed to be on this land. And the reality is, they're both trespassing because it's neither of their land. And so what God is doing in this passage is he's coming to us and he's saying, I don't want you to think about them right now. I want you to think about you. And I want you to have this face-to-face confrontation with God. And the first thing that you have to understand if you're going to be forgiven is that you're wrong. God has said clearly in his word what we do that consistently crosses the boundaries. For example, in the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are sort of summarized by this last commandment, right? Do not covet. Which basically means don't want anything that anyone else has. Busted. You're trespassing. And so God is saying to us, you are trespassing. So he says, here is how we have unity in the church that is completely different than the way that the world is trying to have unity through ideological agreement. He says the way that we have unity in the church is by being forgiven. So because we have trespassed, we come to Jesus and we say, We need what you have to offer. And here's the way that Paul describes what Jesus has to offer us is redemption by his blood. So we have trespassed. We've gone where God has told us not to go. And as a result, we owe God a fine. And it's a fine so big that we can't pay it. And so Jesus voluntarily went from heaven to earth and said, I will pay their fine for them on the cross. I'll buy them back. I'll redeem them so that they don't have to pay the penalty for their own sin. And so Jesus bought us back with his blood at the cost of his very own life. And in that way, we are forgiven. It's free to us, but incredibly costly to Jesus. So here's what we are as the church. We have the glorious freedom of being wrong and yet free. Wrong and yet forgiven. So we can approach conversations both inside and outside of the church, not with our ideological and moral superiority, but with our theological humility. So we can come to people and just say, I'm wrong, I'm the problem. I don't get it all right. In fact, I've changed my opinion three times about ten different things. And sometimes I don't know what I think, and I'll probably think something different 30 years from now. But this is what I do know. I have been a great sinner, and Jesus has been a great Savior. I think if we approach our families and the world with that kind of humility, 
that there will be unity. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Here's God's plan in offering forgiveness to people like us. His plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in him. Here's what that means. In the book of Revelation, it says that forever, we as the church will be singing the song, worthy is the lamb who was slain. In other words, we will be worshiping Jesus for redeeming us by his blood. We will recognize that we don't deserve to be there. So what unifies us is forgiveness. We have been forgiven by Jesus. But it's not just that we've been forgiven and sort of gotten back to zero. Like God says that you're okay, now go work to earn your salvation. We also have an inheritance. Okay, look with me at verses 11 and 12. In him, that's in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Jesus said that it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. And that's because as Americans, we can hear inheritance and we can say, kind of, who cares? I'm already rich. I can make my own money. I can take care of myself. Why do I need this inheritance? And we have this idea that we have sort of pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we've worked hard, that we've been smarter or harder working than other people. And so we have what we have earned. Okay, biblically, that's a total lie. But let's just, I'm going to give it to you, okay? I'm just going to say that that's true, that you have earned what you have gotten in this life. When Paul talks about us obtaining an inheritance here, he's talking about an eternal inheritance. This is the way that the apostle Peter, a friend of Paul, says it. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So you can't take what you have with you here. So this inheritance that I'm talking about is much better than the one that you think you have because, as Jesus said, moth and rust can't destroy your eternal inheritance. So what is exactly this eternal inheritance, this unfading, incorruptible inheritance that the apostles Paul and Peter are talking about? What do we get? And the answer is that we get everything that Jesus has. Look look at the way that the apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. He says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Okay, so what does Jesus have? To be a co-heir means that we're now brothers and sisters with Jesus, and so we get everything that he gets as an inheritance. Well, Jesus is the Lord, and here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 about what Jesus owns. 
For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. So here's what Jesus has. Everything. He owns everything. And so what God is saying is that your inheritance is everything. You see it, it's yours. You just have to wait. You get it through hope. Okay, so, so I gave you the reality that what you have earned thus far is yours. But if your inheritance is going to be everything, then you basically have nothing now, even if you did earn it, which you didn't. Why did God promise us everything? Why did he not just save us and sort of let us into heaven, but saved us and then promised us literally the world? Paul says it's so that we would praise his glory. So here's the deal that God set up. He gives us the world and we say, wow, forever. He's a giver and we get the joy of getting what he has. So all he wants from you is for you to say, this is awesome. I'm rich now. I'm well supplied. I've got everything that I need. Because God is a generous giver. The biggest lie in the universe is that God is a miser who's holding back from us. We might be getting our inheritance slowly, and we might have to wait for it, but it is coming. I was reminded of this this week. I went up to Brainerd for a little personal spiritual retreat. And I was staying in a boathouse at like a $1.5 million house. And I was staying in the little boathouse behind it that I got on Airbnb. I'm like 40 feet from the water. And just spending time with Jesus and, and looking out over Round Lake. And it's just sunsets and sunrises. It's just absolutely beautiful. And I'm just thinking, okay, I would love if this guy who owned this house was like a buddy of mine. And he would invite me over to this house. And you're kind of like walking around the lake and you're looking at all these beautiful houses. And you're like, I really need a friend with a lake house. Well, the reason that that would be exciting is because essentially what you're imagining is that they would give you an all-access pass to their lake house. And your job would just be to show up at the lake house and enjoy it. It's even better than owning a lake house. Because right? you don't have to take care of it. And that's the offer that God is giving to us. He's saying, listen, my joy is to give you all that I have. Everything that God has given to Jesus, he plans on giving to you. And all you need to do right now is hope is cling on to this relationship with Jesus and hope and wait.
and not give in to the temptation to try to get all of your needs met in this life as quickly as you possibly can, but instead to trust that God's plan is to meet all of your needs forever and to give you the world. Okay, how can we be sure that we will get this inheritance? The Apostle Paul says, we have been sealed, specifically sealed by the Holy Spirit. Let me unpack what that means in the last two verses we're going to look at together, verses 13 and 14. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, in church, when people start talking about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times things get weird. But Paul is not being weird here. He's not bringing sort of disorder and confusion into our minds. He's bringing security to our souls. And what he's saying in this passage is that as soon as you believed in Jesus, the moment you believed in Jesus, you might have thought that all that you received in that moment was forgiveness of your sins, which is true and is a glorious gift. You did receive forgiveness of your sins. You might have thought that that's all that you received, and you might have this conception of Christianity that you've essentially received forgiveness of your sins, and now you have to pay Jesus back for forgiving you and kind of earn your salvation now. So you have to prove that you were worthy of his forgiveness. That is not the gospel. Okay, the gospel is that when you believed in Jesus, you were not only forgiven, but at that moment, your inheritance was guaranteed. And it wasn't guaranteed by something that you did or something that you promised. It was guaranteed by something that God did and that God promised. The moment that you believed, God sent the Holy Spirit, who is God, to live inside of you. And we often talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to help us say no to sin, which is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life. But another role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to guarantee your inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is a person who lives in you, who is constantly saying to you, if you'll quiet down long enough to listen, you're saved. You're saved. You're going to inherit the world. You're a child of God. You're loved. You're accepted. You're chosen. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to work your way to God anymore. Because your inheritance has not come by your works. Your inheritance has come by a promise. What this passage literally says is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is not like an engagement ring. Okay, An engagement ring, you slide onto the finger of your girlfriend and she becomes your fiancé who's soon going to become your wife. But the engagement ring really has nothing to do with marriage itself. An engagement ring is a symbol of marriage. What Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So here's what the Holy Spirit is like. If I told my kids, guys, if you want to go to college, I am going to pay for your college. And they're like, how can I know that you're going to pay for my college? How do I know that I don't need to get a job now at age eight and start saving because college is going to be so expensive. And I say to them, there's this thing called a 529 plan. And I pull it up on my computer and I show them that there is a hundred thousand dollars, which there's not. If you'd like to, if you'd like to donate to my five kids, 529 plans, it'll be on our website. No, it won't. Um, but, but if I showed them there's $100,000 in your 529 plan, what I'm saying to them is there is a deposit guaranteeing that your college is going to be paid for. The very money that will pay for your college is already set up in an account to pay for your college. The Apostle Paul is saying, the guarantee of your heavenly inheritance is that God already put heaven into you in a deposit called the Holy Spirit. Because the greatest gift of heaven isn't all of the stuff that God is going to give to us. The greatest gift of heaven is God himself. So he's saying, Here's how you can know that I'm going to come through on my promise. Because my spirit lives in you. So here's what's true. You're not always going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're not always going to have this assurance Sometimes you stub your toe and you're just thinking about that. You're not thinking about your heavenly inheritance at that moment. But sometimes you'll be sitting in a church service. You'll be sitting next to a lake. You'll be on a walk. You'll be reading your Bible. And sometimes as a Christian, you will have this whisper that happens in your heart where the Holy Spirit says, I know you've been trying again to earn the love of God. I know you've been trying again to do the right thing, but you can never earn the love of God because you received it as a gift in the first place. And he will tell you that you are saved. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And our response is to call God our Father. So I want you to leave today not thinking, I've got this checklist of things to do. I've got this mission to go on. I've got to earn my salvation. God's given me this great gift, and now so I need to respond accordingly. The application of this message is, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that Christianity is different than any other religion. Every other religion says, here's the list of things that you need to do to change yourself so that either God can be happy with you or you can reach nirvana or a state of inner peace. And Christianity says, stop doing anything to earn your salvation because God has done it for you in Jesus. You're secure, Christian. And because we're secure, we can relax and rejoice and wait with hope. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we have all we need in Christ. And we don't even need to chase the next spiritual experience or the next dollar or the next sexual experience or the next um, success in our job to find security or to find hope. But instead, we can stop, we can hear your voice, and your assurance that because we have believed in Jesus, you have sent your spirit to us, and we have hope. God, would you fill us with hope and assurance in believing so that the things of this earth become dim to us in the light of your grace. In Jesus' name.